Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Let us pray. God, I thank you for this, this evening that we get. And Lord, I thank you for little blessings like uh, letting the dog out and having a nice cool breeze and just just letting the hair just kind of float in the breeze there a bit and just, just enjoy some cool air. God, I just remember just feeling comfortable in that moment and just thanking you for simple things like the breeze. We've got a text tonight, Lord, that's just a little awkward and, and sometimes it seems absurd. And, and God, we may even be tempted to wonder where you're at and what you're doing and what you were doing and what, what's going on. And, and yet, God, we're, we're going to land the plane with your, your sovereignty and your faithfulness and you're still king. And I love how God's word, Lord, I love how your word does that, where we can be genuine and we can be real and we can struggle and we can uh, wonder and we can debate, and, but we can still find our hope in you. And God, you use the time of Abimelech, just like you use the time of Gideon. And I just pray, Lord, that we'll be challenged and encouraged tonight. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in, we're finishing out Judges 8, and then we will be in Judges 9. And Judges 9 is, my hope is to go quickly with it. It's just, it's just a solidly go through. Okay, so we see at the, the beginning of the page there, I have the Judges cycle, just as a reminder. And this is something that we just, you'll see it over, over and over again. Israel's apostasy, Yahweh's anger, Yahweh's compassion, and then Israel's apostasy all over again. So we have, by, by way of introduction, we've got the same old song and dance, 29 to 35, chapter 8. I'll read it. Jerubbabel, son of Joash, went back home to live. And again, this is Gideon. Oh, didn't we just finish Gideon? Yeah, we did. But here it is. I'm, I'm reading this because an original reader has a scroll, okay? So this is just one right after another. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. His concubine, who lived in Shechem, that's going to be the setting of our, our text tonight, Shechem. Okay, I'll just pronounce it that way so I don't coat the screen with my phlegm. Shechem, Shechem. His concubine, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son, whom he named Abimelech. Again, his name means my father is king. Interesting, Gideon, you don't want to be called a king, but you've got an illegitimate kid with a concubine. And you're going to name your kid, my dad is king? Seriously? I bring this up again because, pay attention, Israel is going, is going to have treated Gideon like a king, so much so that that's going to be Abimelech's move. He's going to be a Johnny OneNote the whole time. He's going to be like, yeah, I'm the crown prince, so what's up? You know, like I, Gideon was the king, no, I'm the king. So it's just the, the, the Abimelech story just keeps painting new colors with Gideon. All right, but I digress. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash in Ophrah of the Abizrites. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Borit as their god. That's an extra poke in the eye. Remember how Curly, Mo, and Larry said, you know, nah, nah, poke. That's poking God right there in the eyes. What does Baal Borit mean in Hebrew? It means Lord of the Covenant. That word berit is in the first five words of the Bible, where God sets up, it's like, oh my goodness. You're going to call, you're, you're going to choose someone else to be your covenant God, and then call that guy Lord of the Covenant, Baal Barith. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And they did not remember the Lord their God, who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. They also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, in spite of all the good things he had done for them. Well, that's going to play into this tonight. That's going to be, that, that's going to be, you know, the moves on the chessboard that the characters are going to make. They're going to bring up Gideon. Okay. A text came in. Uh, Rachel and I wonder if, if anybody twisted his arm to name their son that. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, that's the thing about, we wondered that about Solomon with all of his wives and all of his concubines. And all of a sudden, when they start coming around and having their way with him, 
uh, he brings in all these other gods and goddesses. And just saying, I mean, Israel in the time of, of Balaam, you know, Israel is leaving and coming around Moab and the Moabites come out with women and meat. They entice the Israelites with Moabite women and a bunch of meat. And the Israelite men are like, all right. And they prostitute themselves with the Baals because of that. There's something about getting what you want and then having women be a part of that. And especially in the ancient world, when you didn't eat a lot of meat and meat was reserved for sacrifice times. I mean, idolatry, idolatry, there it is. Uh, but I digress. Okay. So that's kind of our, our opening here. It's Israel doesn't remember too well. They kind of forget that God is faithful. So we begin with Abimelech here. The treachery of Abimelech. I want to be all Hebrew about it. Avi Melech, 9, 1 to 6. Abimelech's son of Jerubbabel went to his mother's brothers in Shechem. So I told you we we're going to be in Shechem. Shechem's going to be in this entire text. This text is for Shechem. Here we go. And they said to them all and to all his mother's clan, ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you, to have all 70 of Jerubbabel's sons rule over you or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. Like I was born here. Um, here's the unasked question. Hey, Abimelech, why are you uh, talking about ruling? I thought kings rule. Anybody who still believes Gideon didn't want to be king is kidding themselves. Because the very next time Gideon's dead now, the very next moment we have is, so he was ruling over you. Who do you want ruling over you now? All these guys over here, or as Mick texted in, the hometown hero. I mean, yeah, Gideon. This does not look good for Gideon. I know Gideon is not to blame for his son's choices. But when Gideon says, I'm not going to rule over you, only God does that, and then this is the product, there's something to be said about what a family's narrative is. And I think the narrative was, Daddy Gideon is king. Because look at all this. I'm just saying. Okay. Who do you want ruling over you? He actually makes a good argument. It was, it was an argument that the colonials uh, made against, um, like, George Washington becoming king. It's like, do you want one, one tyrant a thousand miles away or how many tyrants one mile away kind of thing? And so he's, he's reversing that argument here of who do you want to be your guy? You're going to be ruled over by somebody. Do you want the 70 sons of who knows what? Or the hometown dude. I'm at least going to have your back. At least you think. Oh, Abimelech. Here we go. Anything more to say about this? I don't know. This should be, the, the ancient readers, the original readers, are, had to be frustrated reading this. They had to be sitting there going, gosh, ancestors, didn't you ever listen? What in the world is your deal? I mean, the book of Judges is a delightfully frustrating book because of that stinking Judges cycle at the top of the page. Man. Yeah, Abimelech was not happy with his position as an outsider, and he wanted to change his station in life. He, um, yeah, he just, and that's just kind of, well, let's just continue here. When the brothers re repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, well, he's related to us. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Belberit. Okay, let's take some of Baal's money. Here we go. And Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels, scofflaws, as it were, who became his followers. See, that's the difference between him and David. With David, these kind of guys just happened to follow. They came around David, and David took them in. Abimelech is seeking the guys out. He wants to hire, you know, like the A-team kind of. He wants to get the guys everybody doesn't want. The, uh, the gangbangers of the day. Or so. He wants to get them, the one that's going to cause a bunch of trouble. He's hiring them out. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on the stone, on one stone, murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jerubbabel. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, escaped by hiding. Just like Daddy Gideon, he was a hider. How about that? 
Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. Daniel texted in, Gideon's words about kingdom seem pretty empty. You bet. Mick texts, you figure with his name, he probably felt it was his birthright. Ah, uh, that's a great point. My dad is king. He's now dead. Long live the king, right? There it is. Uh, Randy says, the more, more to the point, he has to buy them rather than earning their loyalty. That's right. He, he's, he's purchasing. I mean, these, are, these are the ultimate mercenaries. How's he going to win the war of words? Well, you know, we saw this in like historical like Marxism and socialism. You hire thugs. And you think you're going to get what you want. And they called that, like in history, like the brown shirts. It's like, you're going to get what you want, and you're going to raise your fist kind of thing. And that's what he's doing here. And, well, how, how do you choose to live in life stakes? That's our first question. And I want that question to kick you in the rear. Your life stinks. How do you choose to live? If I was a tattoo guy, I'm not, but if I was, the book of Leviticus means just a little bit too much to me. I'm not, I'm not talking down to anybody with a tattoo. I'm not, but it's just, for some reason, it gives me just enough pause. I'm not getting tats. If I was going to get a tat, one of my tats is going to have something like this. Life sometimes stinks, but God is always faithful. Okay. I've got enough things in my life that I'm always in some kind of physical pain. There's always something going on. Fine. That's life. I'm living with it. I'm not complaining. There it is. But in the midst of all that with life stinking, you've got a choice. What's going to be your narrative? Is it going to be my life stinks and I'm now a victim? Now the world owes me something? Or is it going to be life stinks, so I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna stop depending upon myself for everything and I'm gonna reach out or reach up? What's it gonna be at the, the base moment of your life? The core, what is your ultimate motivation? Is it you or is it God? And you see that by how you answer when life stinks. How do you choose to live when life stinks? Well, we're seeing what Abimelech is doing. He's seizing opportunities, come what may. He didn't get what he wanted, and so he's going to go kill to get what he wanted. I mean, there's a variation of that with Abraham and Hagar. I'm not willing to wait, so I'm just going to take advantage of an opportunity. Now, sometimes our opportunities are, are things like what a sovereign God has ordained for you. And none of us are stepping out of, of God's sovereign plan or anything like that. We can't out-choose God. Randy texted, never let a, a crisis go to waste. There you go. Um, yeah. Daniel texts in, our supposed hero of the story murders his 70 brothers. Yes. Pretty bad. Fratricide. Um, Here's the cool thing about this. I want to start with where's God? Because in our judges cycle, we usually get something like this. Correct me if I'm wrong, text me. And then God raised up whoever it is. That's part of the Yahweh's compassion part. Israel's apostasy, God gets angry, boom. And then they cry out to God and God raises up. Who is God raising up here? I'm shaking my head. The formula got broke tonight, didn't it? Abimelech didn't wait for any formulas. God didn't raise up anybody in the way he's raised up people before. Abimelech just seized it. It's like the whole nature of horrors of vacuum. There was a vacuum, and he stepped the heck up and in. And people are protesting, so he plays politics. The politics don't work. He plays gutter politics. Gutter politics don't work, he kills people. Huh, where's God? You see, how you choose to live when life stinks, that defines your story. Who, what kind of person are you gonna be in this life? Well, life is hard, so what? Who doesn't have a hard life? I'm not being rude. I'm not trying to be rude with that. Where I'm going with that is life stinks for most people. But what sets you apart as a Christian is how you answer that question, how you choose to live when life stinks. I mean, I remember 
I remember my, my years of my fraternity in college. My final year of that, my senior year was horrible. Newly diagnosed with MS and it was just messing with me and I was weak and numb and, and I couldn't do hardly anything. And, but I could still smile. And I remember my frat brother saying, why are you smiling? Yeah, you've got a hard life. How can you smile? Because it was all I could do. I could smile. And God used that smile. And a couple of those brothers accepted Christ because they saw, they saw how I chose to live and life stinks. I'm not the Hebrew, the hero of that. My goodness, we'll get to that at the end. But how do you how do you choose to live life? Your choice better be 1 Corinthians 10 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Boom. That's you. If it's not you, it needs to be you. You can still give God glory. And that's why how Psalm 46 ends. You know, be still and know that I am God, and then I will be exalted, God says. God's going to be glorified throughout our life. He's going to be glorified in the midst of your stinky life when life stinks. we got to continue. That just had to be said. We could stop right there, that, but we had got to get through the text, and we, we, we promised to do so. Oh, the treachery of Abimelech. Now the fable of Job. This is interesting. This you know, almost reminds me of a song by Rush called The Trees. I wonder if Rush was ever reading Judges chapter 9. Uh, this is like, yeah, there we go. When Jotham was told about this, about him being crowned king. Yeah, here we go. He climbed up to the top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. How about that? What if a preacher started a sermon that way? Listen to me, so that God may listen to you. Wow. He gives them a fable. Check this out. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil by which both, by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? Next, the trees, the tree said to the fig tree, come be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit so good and so sweet? And by the way, if you doubt that, go get a pack of fig newtons. Those are sweet little guys. To hold sway over the trees, the tree said to the vine, come be our king. It's like some grapes. But the vine answered, should I give up my wine with cheers, both God and humans, I'll sway over the trees? Who do they have left? Those three trees or plants were staples of the agricultural makeup of any ancient society. The three most important plants in everybody's world were those three plants, especially in this area. What do they have left? Next, they went to the thornbrush. Come be our king. The thornbrush said to the trees, if you really want, want to anoint me a king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. Seriously? Yes, that seriously should be something you're thinking right now. This is absurd little scrubby thorny little thing what shade i'm just saying that that's just that you should you, you an original reader is going what yeah but if not then the fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of lebanon wow that's an if then he's giving here have you acted honorably and in good faith by making abimelech king have you been fair to Jerubbabel and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? There we go. He's playing the Gideon card. He's playing King Gideon's card here. One more time. Have you treated him as he deserves? Remember that my father fought for you. This sounds like a, a presidential like commercial here. I'm going to fight for you or I did fight for you. Here it is. Remember my father fought for you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family. You have murdered his 70 sons on a single stone, and you have made Abimelech, the son of his female slave, king over the citizens of Shechem because he is related to you. So have you acted honorably and in good faith. So, excuse me. So have you acted honorably and in good faith toward Drobabel and his family today? If you have, may Abimelech be your joy, and may you be his too. But if you've not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shemek and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. 
Then Jotham fled, escaped to Be'er. Now it's not beer. He escaped to Be'er, and he lived there because he was afraid of his brother, Abimelech. Let's read some text here. From Philip, when Alexander was, was dying, the generals asked who will take over. He replied to the strongest. Make text in verse 7, evil men of a history of attributing to God what is clearly not endorsed, like Jesse Jackson with Martin Luther King's legacy. Some good points there, Mick. We got an evil guy here, this Abimelech. Does God use evil guys? God didn't directly raise up this evil guy. But what's outside of God's hands? I mean, in reality, it's just, well, the fable of Jotham. Kind of a crazy little fable, isn't it? It's absurd. Fire does not come out of thorns. And thorns don't really offer shade. Maybe you would offer shade to an ant or maybe a little mouse or something like that. But to a tree? I mean, a tree? What tree is going to... So it's just absurd. That's his point. You're going to rest on Abimelech? That's equally absurd. You're idiots. Shame on you. Yeah, Mick texted in. Romans 13, even leaders are God's servant. They do provide overall stability. Yeah. Choices have consequences, so keep the big picture. This fable, he's the lone survivor. Yeah, where's he going with this? He's cursing the people with an if-then. Jotham is the defender of his father, but you're going you're gonna to dare to go. You should honor his father. Instead, you're going to go to his, my illegitimate half-brother. Yeah. So we're left to wonder this. Where's God? Is God going to take up Jotham's cause? And indeed, because remember he said, you want to listen to me, you're going to be like, God's going to listen to you. So, so Jotham's the one that brings God into this. So which is it? Is God going to plead his cause? Is God going to get in the story sometime? Are we ever going to see what God's going to do? Are we ever going to see like how God's leading his people here? Choices have consequences. He's letting them know that. This is what you chose. And I can't believe you chose that. So you have one last chance to make the right choice. Otherwise, you've made your bed, you're going to sleep in it. And that sleeping in it means you're going to have fire. Um, choices have consequences. Keep the big picture. So you've made some bad choices in your life. Start making some good ones. I once did a wedding, and mom and dad had been uh, living in sin for, I don't know, nine years, never married, had a bunch of kids together, and they they – I forget how they found out about me or whatnot. As a pastor of a small church, I did weddings. And they said, we want to be married. And I kind of just said, you know, why? I mean, I don't mean that rudely, but you've been living together for X amount of years. You have a bunch of kids together. You're having a household. Why now? And they said this, we feel convicted. We're not leaving a good legacy for our children and a good example. They need to see their mother and their father be married. Had they made a bunch of choices I wouldn't have made all that time? Yes. Make good choices now. Start making some good choices. So you, so you have a life where you regret a lot of things. There's only so much you can do with that. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Say, God, take my past. Here it is. I regret a lot. I can repent from things. I can confess some things. But at some point, Lord, there's nothing more I can do. Start making some good choices. And as you make those good choices, keep that big picture. The same big picture that answered the first question, how you choose to live when life stinks. We have an interlude, 22 to 24. After Abimelech had governed Israel three years, not a long career, God, ah, there he is. God stirred up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem so that they acted treacherously against Abimelech. God did this. And this is the narrator, whoever the narrator is, he's giving us this. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem, who had helped him murder his brothers. Okay, that's, that's some new information. I mean, Jotham was kind of hinting at that with the fable, but we didn't know that. We thought it was all Abimelech and his dudes. 
but no aiding and abetting a Shechem here. So God, God has now, God needs to settle the scale against Abimelech and against Shechem. So now God's showing up in the story. That's not true. God's always been there. We learned that in the book of Esther. Daniel takes it in, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. God does sometimes use evil people. He does for his glory. And that's always the answer. Like, well, why in the world did the God, how, how could have God used a Hitler or God used a Pol Pot or, or any, of these, any of these really horrible national leaders? The answer is I don't know. How can God still be God with all this evil? I don't know. But I do know this. The Bible is clear that God has a plan and that God has directed history. And there is no plan B. There is no, well, yeah, I'll do this now instead of that. And so you either believe that all of history is going to end with God's glory, the most possible glory, and it's going to end with the best possible outcome for me and for you as followers of God, or you don't. And you can get lost in the weeds and the thorn bushes and try to you know, debate this or that, but at the end, it comes to that question. Is God truly faithful? Is God truly king? Well, yes. Well, yes. You either trust him or you don't. I mean, that's just kind of where it's at. Many of the times that Christianity was persecuted were the times in which it spread the most. Daniel takes it in. Yeah, there's an old line that they, the blood of the martyrs was like the seeds of the faith. It's just like every time they were martyred the most, it's like it spread the most. People realize, oh, yeah, this faith actually is so serious. My goodness. These people are willing to die? Wow. God is, is, is king, even if it seems like he's not. That's what we learned in the book of Esther. Where's God? I don't know. The whole book of Esther, you're wondering where God is. The characters are wondering where God is. He was there. Even though I don't see him, he's, you're moving. Even when, when I don't see you, you're moving. It's like, you never stop. You never stop working. Like, we sing about that in a praise song. We don't have to see God. We can see God at work. We can see the things he's doing. It's the same argument in Romans chapter 1, where you can see all of God's you know, great qualities by looking at the creative world around you and seeing the order in his creation. And going, wow, that didn't just happen. A loving designer had a design to make that happen. That kind of order doesn't come out of a chaotic primordial ooze. Randomness plus time does not equal that. Just, you see that. Mick takes it in. It makes no sense for God to have told Adam not to eat that fruit. But then again, God had no need to create. It was not for us to understand, only to believe and worship him. Yeah. So good stuff tonight, guys. Well, we have the treasury of Abimelech, now the treasury of Shechem. Let me get the screen to scroll down here in a second. And get the rest of the. All right. There it is. Okay. Chapter 9, 25 to 41. In opposition to him were three were these citizens of Shechem. Because remember, God is at work. He's putting in, kind of like God put that evil spirit in Saul. It kind of caused Saul to have anxiety and depression and to get him to, you know, out of his element here. It's like he's doing that here. He's causing enmity between um, Abimelech and his people. In opposition to him were, were these citizens of Shechem. They set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by. And this is reported to Abimelech. Now, what's it, Gale? You like to say, if you say Baal, you got to say Gale. If you say Baal, you got to say Gaal. We'll say Gaal. Why not? Now, Gaal, son of Ebed, moved with his clan into Shechem, and his citizens put their confidence in him. After they had gone out into the fields and gathered the grapes and trodden them, they held a festival in the temple of their god. While they were eating and drinking, they cursed Abimelech. Yeah, eating and drinking. They were probably blind drunk, and they were deep into their cups, and they were uh, singing their songs, and they were talking their smack. Okay, they were talking trash, and here it is. Then Gael, son of Abed, said, Who is Abimelech? And why should we let see why should we Shechemites be subject to him? Isn't he Jerubbab of Baal's son? And isn't Zebul his deputy? Serve the family of Hamor, Shechem's father. Why should we serve Abimelech? 
If only this people were under my command, then I would get rid of him. This is 20th century, 21st century politics. Elect me, I'm better than the other guy. Don't elect him, he's not as good as me. It's the same thing here. Uh, if only the people under my command, then I would get rid of him. I'd say to Abimelech, call out your whole army, bring him here, bring him here. You know, When Zebul, the governor of the city, heard what Gael, son of Abed, said, he was very angry. Well, he knew he wasn't going to be pleased. He wasn't going to go, yeah, he was drunk. He was cutting some slack. He's probably saying something, some version of, oh, no, he didn't. Let's bring that boy out here and let's figure this out. Undercover, he sent messengers to Abimelech saying, hey, Gael, son of Abed, and his clan have come to Shechem you know, your city, and are stirring up the city against you. Now then, during the night, you and your men should come in and lie in wait in the fields. In the morning at sunrise, advance against the city. When Gale and his men come out against you, seize the opportunity to attack them. So Abimelech and all of his troops set out by night and took up concealed positions near Shechem in four companies. Now Gale, son of Abed, had gone out and was standing in the entrance of the city gate, just as Abimelech and his troops came out from their hiding place. When Gael saw them, he said to Zebul, look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. Zebul replied, you mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. But Gael spoke up again, look, people are coming down from the central hill, and a company is coming from the direction of the diviner's tree. Then Zebul said to him, where's your big talk now? You who said, who is Abimelech, that we should be subject to him? Aren't these men you ridiculed? Go out and fight them. So Gael led out the citizens of Shechem and fought Abimelech. Abimelech chased him all the way to the entrance of the gate, and many were killed as they fled. Then Abimelech stayed in Arumah, and Zebul drove Gal and his clan out of Shechem. My goodness. We see Shechem's first act of treachery. They're stirring up guys against Abimelech. Well, that seems awful random. No, it's not. Why are they doing that? Because God stirred up animosity between them. I don't know how God did that. The text just said God did it. The conspiracy against the Bible, like, oh, we got, <laughs> we got to go against him, or we got to do something else, and maybe if he just were taken out of the, the equation, we'd have a different life. Abimelech's plans, an ambush in response, violence is encouraged, and Abimelech wins, and the enemies leave town. So, it seems like everything is taken care of. But I wonder what's going to happen next. I want to say a word about self-image. Abimelech is a guy who is ruled by his self-image. He likes it when people are talking about him in the streets. This is going to play a role in the text today as well. But actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get that here in a moment. But be, be remembering that. Don't let your self-image rule you like it ruled Abimelech. We have three acts of revenge. We have the treachery of Abimelech. We have the fable of Jotham. We had an interlude, the treachery of Shechem. And now Jotham's curse is fulfilled. What do I mean by that? Remember, Jotham said, you're going, to take, you're going to take the thorn bush as your king. You're going to get the thorns. And the thorns are going to be like fire. And the fire is going to consume. That's revenge. Abimelech is going to have three revenges here. <laughs> Randy texted earlier, in vino veritas. Yeah, they, they found their truth in their wine, didn't they? All right. 42 to 55. It's a long chapter. It's like one of those chapters in Luke or something. The next day, the people of Shechem went out to their fields. And this is reported to Abimelech. By the way, the Hebrew here is clear. These are not warriors. These are citizens. These are randoms. These are, if you're playing a video game, these are like the NPCs, the non-playable characters. These are like the, the populace. These are men and women. These are not, these are just people that work in stiffs. These are the guys going out doing the, the work in the fields. They're not playing politics, all this nonsense. They're just, okay, you all figure out who's in charge. We got to tend to our grain. Otherwise, we're not going to eat. That's what they're doing. These are not enemy combatants. I just want you to think about that. 
Well, all of this is reported to Abimelech. So he took his men, he divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. When he saw the people coming out of the city, he rose to attack them. Abimelech and the companies with him rushed forward to a position at the entrance of the city gate. The two companies attacked those in the fields and struck them down. All that day, Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he had captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt all over it. They used to salt the fields back in the day. Kind of a, you're going to be barren now. You're not going to have, you're going to have a time where you're not going to be able to grow anything. And salt would be like judgment upon you. And uh, the Romans were famous for this as well. It's like you would spread salt and it would just cause, you know, what could be a fertile area to not be as fertile. It was, uh, there was judgment upon a city. They would throw salt down. Oh. So we're still in chapter 9 here of Judges. We're going to go to 46. On hearing this, the citizens in the tower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of Elbarit. That's uh, God of the covenant, it means. So these people are hard-pressed. They're running to the only place they have, this tower. They're going to try to hide in this tower. Maybe, maybe the enemy will go away. Maybe he'll just, you know, make a bunch of noise and, you know, bang on the door a few times and get everybody, you know, soiling their britches or something, and he'll take off. Okay, that's what they're hoping here. What's going to happen? When Abimelech heard all that they had all assembled there, he and all his men went up to Mount Zalmon. He took an axe and cut off some branches, which he lifted to his shoulders. He ordered the men with him, quick, do what you have seen me do. So all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against a stronghold and set it on fire with the people still inside. So all the people in the tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. Next, Abimelech went to Tebez and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of the city had fled. They had locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance of the tower to set it on fire, Oh, what's this? A woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. What? Okay. Hurriedly, he called to his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me so they can't say a woman killed him. So a servant ran him through and he died. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. There were no speeches. There was no, you know, mourning. There was no, they just, they just took off. And, uh, yeah. People texting in here, Daniel texting, killing your citizen is not, is not a good look. Yes, make me your king, make me your king. And you take me off, I'm going to kill you. Well, who's going to make you king anymore, pal? Uh, yeah, Rachel texting, girl power. You know what? We've got more girl power, don't we? We've got this woman. She doesn't even get a name. At least in, in the, uh, the, 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 the Deborah and Barak text, she got a name. Jael, remember her? This woman here didn't get a name. It's just a random woman. Now, there, there's the, the narrator's having fun with it. We'll get, we'll get to that in just a second. The narrator's having a bit of fun. The word for fire, remember fire is going to come out. He's setting a thing on fire. The word for fire is ish, right? The word for woman is isha. And you don't have vowels. Well, you can't quite tell if it's an ish or an ish. So there's a play here. The word for man is ish, and the word for woman is isha. So it's when, when, when a woman's taken out of a man, Adam's argument, you know, isha is taken out of ish. We see this in English, where the majority of letters in the word woman is M-E-N, men. So like, it's like there's something about a man and tied to a, a woman, okay? It's just in, in, in the etymology of the word. So the ish has some ish. The isha has some ish. So the, the woman, instead of fire consuming the tower, a woman kills him. So an original reader without the, the, the blessing of, of a vowel, with only consonants, seeing the same three consonants in ish and, and ish, isha. Yeah. There we go. Kind of a pun there. But deeper than that, go back to your self-image. Mick texted in, can you say misogynist? Sure. I don't let it be said that a woman killed me. 
Um, Randy, I'm surprised there wasn't any great rejoicing. You know, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead or at least something. No, they were just like, oh, he's dead now. Okay, back to the fields. Yeah, why spend time eulogizing this jerk? We're just going to go back to the fields. It's like the text is like, and they went home. Like, oh, well, there's that. How about that? He's dead. See ya. Um, Gideon had a first act of revenge. He had a second act of revenge. He had a third act of revenge. And then, dead. But he's so worried. He's a, he's a big macho guy, big manly guy. Here he is. And he's, 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 he's it. And here he is, killed by a woman. And not, not just a woman, but she killed him with, I mean, I want you to think about like, think about something that's not very politically correct. Remember, here's, here's, here's a line that I do not believe, but it's been said, women should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen and making me a sandwich or something, right? Don't take it out of context. I don't believe it. I'll make my own sandwich. You know, but this is a barefoot and pregnant moment right here. What did she toss at him? She tossed at him the most womanly thing ever in their culture because only slaves ground things that were the people were going to put in their mouth millstones grinding the wheat or the grain to make bread and dough and that kind of stuff so only slaves did that didn't have a slave what's the next best thing in this culture the women so women so when jesus talks about with the end times and a lot of people like look at the rapture and he was like two women are grinding grain in the field and one and one is gone he's like that's the image it's like, this is what they use to grind the grain. And no self-respecting man, at least not a macho man, would ever be doing this. So this woman kills the macho guy there with the womanliest thing ever in their culture. The thing you would, you would identify with a woman's work, grinding grain, she tosses that to kill the most misogynistic macho dude ever. It's kind of cool. I mean, that's a girl power moment right there. And make the, uh, make the text in. The, the, oh, excuse me. Daniel text in. The true hero of our story isn't even given a name, but I love her. Yeah, that's, I mean, God used her, didn't he? Rachel, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be big and heavy? It would. And it would be, it'd be a great weapon to drop. I'm saying, but it's, it's like he had to be laying there on the ground going, oh, my gosh. In fact, we know that. He tells his armor bear, hey, I know I'm bleeding out here, but can the final thing that get me be this sword and not this woman tossing her hair dryer at me or something? I'm trying to think something ridiculously feminine or something to, to play with this weird image. It's like, okay, she just tossed me, tossed this 40 pound makeup bag on me and hit me and I'm, I'm about to die or something ridiculous. She just tossed what she grinds grain on, the thing that no self-respecting man's gonna touch. Um, and that's what killed me. Please don't let that be the best what's killed me. Run me through. You know, Saul had his armor bearer do the same thing. You know, this idea, I just can't live with myself. Self-image ruled Abimelech. How does that apply to us? What is self-image? Let me say something that's not going to be popular. I have struggled with self-esteem a lot of my life. I don't struggle with self-esteem anymore. Here's why. I can't justify it biblically. At what point in the Bible am I allowed to esteem myself? It's just self-esteem. Stop that. Don't run to like the, the answers of pop psychology to answer your deepest things. Run to God's word. At what point am I allowed to esteem myself? At what point is self-image the key thing? Genesis chapter freaking one, let us make man in our image. See, I get not about my image as a Christian ever. If it's about my image, I am sinful and wrong. I am selfish. It's about God's image. When self-image rules you, people and their opinions of you are big, but God is small. 
If you're living where people are big and God is small, you are most likely trapped in fear. You're most likely living by anxiety. You're most likely clearly and utterly depressed because life hasn't worked out. When people are big, when situations are big, when, when issues are big, but God is small, your self-image is going to rule you. Self-image is making an idol out of yourself. We are not at all surprised with this. Jesus said on the plains of Galilee, you want to follow after me, you got to first deny yourself. Well, I don't like this, Joel. I don't like you had to take this lesson. This lesson was weird enough. Why'd you have to go there? Because that's my story. And that's your story. This is, this is our culture story. Every little stinking thing in the news, we have to respond to it. And Facebook and Instagram and Twitter just exacerbated the problem. Now, not only do I have to have an opinion, but everybody has to hear my opinion, has to read my opinion, has to just, just marinate in that opinion. And then someone pushes back and my self-image is hurt. This is, this is where we, how we take a really ancient text and just take a bath in it. It's, it's me. I am Abimelech. You are Abimelech. You care about your self-image. Because people are big and their opinion of you matters too much. And God is small. And that is exactly backwards. People should be small and God is big. And that should be your perspective. Don't let your self-image rule over you. To the very bloody end, it ruled over Abimelech. He was seen in the very beginning as the illegitimate son, and he was hell-bent, said not let that define him all throughout his life, that self-image. What's it going to be for you? You know, bringing it home, it's God again at work. 56 and 57, thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came on them. What were the two things that Gideon did wrong? Repairing the two key failings of Daddy Gideon. What were the two things? God had to resolve these two complications. His first complication was he, remember Gideon made that golden ephod, that idol that he had in his land? It's like at some point, God had to be the winner over Baal and the things of Baal. And when Gideon led his people astray, God had to, uh, he, he, God had to make that right. He had to resolve that covenantal failing of Gideon. Gideon failed in that regard. And on a covenant level, he failed. God had to repair that. But the second thing, um, Gideon, in his quest to have a harem, had sexual relations with a Canaanite woman, a slave, and had a kid, and then, oh, what a kid, Abimelech. The first of Gideon's problems led Israel into apostasy, and the second one brought upon Israel a Darth Vader, like this vengeful dictator who's going after everybody. We must be ever mindful to be faithful to God in our present situations. We have no idea how our efforts and decisions will be used for good or evil. And that's what it is. We have no idea. I mean, the two, two key feelings of Daddy Gideon, it's the great unknown concerning our choices. Now, God is sovereign. God is king. He's the ultimate king. He easily un undid the egotistical ambition of Abimelech. He, and he easily conquered the impotent Baal with which the Israelites so quickly apostatized. With the Bimelech story, with Gideon's story, we see that the sins of the present can have consequences for the future. And that's your story. You know that. You know the sins you've done in your past. I certainly know that. I, the, the, the sins you commit in the past can have consequences for the future. They don't have to define your life completely and ultimately. That's the great unknown concerning our choices. We don't know how God's going to use our choices. But there's a divine certainty. We know that God's going to be glorified. And he's going to use us as a part of his plan. So we need to honor God with our present choices. 
and be certain that God's going to be glorified and God's going to work things out for his, for good. That's all that we can do. And even with Abimelech, he wasn't making any choices that God was going, geez, I didn't see that coming. Or, Whoa. I mean, come on, dude. I mean, this, you're going to do this too. I mean, have you had enough? No, that, that makes God off the throne and God's never off the throne. Yeah. That's Mick texts it in. Um, Gideon went to war and said, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon has self-image issues too. Philip texted in, make God first in your life. In reality, the opinion of man is irrelevant. Yeah, and, and then that's true. But is that true? I don't, I don't like saying, is that true for you? Truth should never be relativistic like that. But are you living that? It's like, is that something that you live? And I don't mean you, Philip, everybody. It's like, God, the, the opinion of man, that's again, God is big when God is big, the opinions are small. If you make people big, God becomes smaller. And that's just, that, that, that's the big choice. What's it going to be? How about Abimelech, guys? Abimelech ties into the Gideon story. What in the world is going to happen next? I'm glad that God kind of, you know, came in at the end there and kind of set things right. But imagine being a person of that era. It's going, what's going on? I don't know what to think. Remember, this is the time of the judges. There was no king, and Israel did what was right in her own eyes. So how do you choose to live when life stinks? You've got to answer that question, because your life might stink right now, a lot. How are you going to choose to live? Your choices have consequences. What grand narrative are you feeding with those, with those choices? Are you feeding this life's all about you, or it's not all about you? God is king even when it seems most like he is not. And don't let your self-image rule over you. Some huge things in this text today. I'll close with, with mixed text. We have a king. We await his return. Amen. We'll see you next week, guys. God bless.